When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Stupidity, home of the greatest media mind ever to walk the planet. I tell you what, man, he's a literal titan across the entire media landscape. Okay, so here's the deal. He's a true icon in every sense of the word. He's loved and feared more than any being to grace this planet. There's two guys, is it? A man with a voice that sounds like Barry White and Beyonce had a Jewish baby. God himself would pay $39.99 for a cameo. Fact of the matter is, you are about to embark on a transcendent experience that can only be described as psychological nudity. This is Stu Goss, and this is Stupidity. Here we go, Jim. Tony! Welcome into another episode of Stupidity, the biggest podcast in the world, thanks to you. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Unsubscribe, resubscribe, re-rate, re-review. By doing that, you have made us the biggest podcast in the world. We thank you. We're presented by DraftKings. We have a rare Stupidity exclusive. This is very, very exciting. So exciting that Mikey A., who was stuck down in a motel room in Tampa somewhere. He is so excited. He's preparing for the interview. He did not even show up for the Open. <laughs> I mean, how about that? Uh, did not even show up for the Open, Mikey A. But uh, Stan Van Gundy, a couple of weeks ago, agreed to come on uh, this podcast. He was still coaching the Pelicans at the time. And then like a day later, Stan texted me that he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it for a week or two. And I've been around Stan. I know Stan. Stan's a friend of ours. He's a friend of the show. Uh, so I knew kind of what was happening uh, in that moment, or at least I had an idea of what was happening. Now, to Stan's word, okay, because he is such a good friend, uh, Stan, because he agreed to do it while he was still coaching the Pelicans. He now no longer is coaching the Pelicans, but he wanted to, uh, because this is the kind of guy Stan is, he wanted to honor the obligation that he made to me. So I am getting Stan Van Gundy first before anyone else in the media. This is the first time Stan Van Gundy has spoken since being fired after a single year as the head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. I am super excited to talk to him. If Mikey A was here, I would play a game of athletes and entertainers that connote a mode of transportation. Stan Van Gundy. Uh, How about that? Jeff Van Gundy. Truck Robinson. ML Carr. Chucky Carr. I'm playing a game by myself. I'm losing my mind. I am crazy. (laughs) Let's get to... uh, the former coach, and let's hope it stays that way. My good friend, our good friend, Stan Van Gundy. 
Stan, have you ever met Mikey A, the great Mikey A, my producer? Hi, how are you? Sir, very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. That's right. Stan, you look like you are lounging right now. I have never I seen you. Because I'm sitting on my bed. I'll actually try to sit up a little. No, don't. No, no, no. I like I, I liked, I liked where you were. That was fun. Yeah, yes, yes. yes. It's exactly the way I envisioned you, Stan. <laughs> Hold on, hold on. I got the same color shirt. Yeah, I'm going to go. just rock with Stan right now. There we go. You know what? It, it just dawned on me, and I'm sorry it took it took me this long, but uh, Stan, you and Mikey A are like kindred spirits. I mean, <laughs> you guys would be best friends, I promise you. Love it. Love it. You could, you could see why, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Stan, we could go take a rascal around and get a bite to eat there someday. There you go. I like that oh, idea. God. Um, we are laughing. Uh, Stan, first off, I want to ask you, is this the first interview you've done? Like, because Lebetard and I are laughing that I am getting the exclusive here on Stupidity. I know, uh, Dan was actually, uh, <laughs> laugh about that, uh, yesterday that the Stan exclusive, uh, went <laughs> Stupidity. I haven't done, uh, yeah, I've done no media whatsoever, not just interviews like this. I haven't even talked to you know, the beat writers or anybody else. So, but you and I had talked about doing this before I got. Yes. Right. So, yes. Um, you know, and so you wanted that commitment. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, and, but also we have a previous relationship and the whole thing. So, but with everybody else, I've just, I've just declined. Even the people who only want to talk about like the NBA playoffs and stuff. I just sort of want to be away from the media for the most part right now. Um, well, you kind of are still. I mean, it's stupidity, <laughs> but uh, I have one, that, that. That's the beauty of what I've carved out for myself. Stan, Stan cackling in his bed right now. There is few things better than watching Stan Van Gundy cackling. But nobody, I, I would say that's probably true, though. Nobody's ever going to confuse you for a journalist. So. <laughs> But we are laughing that you have granted the exclusive to a man whose logo, a podcast whose logo is of a man sitting on a toilet stand. <laughs> well, I'm well aware because you, uh, when the first yes. time I was on, you uh, you gave me a framed uh, piece of <laughs> which I have it's actually in my home in uh, in Florida. So I'm, yeah, I'm well aware of the logo. Yeah. Does it have prominent? Does it have a prominent place in that home or no? It sure does. <laughs> I'm so where happy I would normally it. sit and do uh, interviews like this. Yeah. All right. So let me be a journalist for just a second, and then we'll get to some NBA and some baseball stuff. And then Mike's got some poll questions for you. So I just want to go back a couple of weeks because you're right. Uh, I had you booked on the podcast, and uh, you were going to come on, and then you sent me a text, and you and I have known each other long enough where I kind of had a feeling what that text meant and where it was headed and what was going on. Um, but how Stan, one year, like how surprised were you to get that call after just coaching uh, the Pelicans for one year? Yeah, I was pretty surprised. I mean, because, um, you know, not only, only one year, but it was four weeks after the, uh, end of the season. And so, you know, normally if that stuff's going to happen, it's going to happen pretty quickly, um, at the end of the year and it didn't. So, um, yeah, I was I was surprised, and the day it happened, I was sort of taken aback. David Griffin made it sound like this was a we decision that we agonized over this decision. That's the way it came out, uh, at least from where we were sitting. Um, is there truth to that? Was that a, was this a joint decision, Stan? I know you. You wanted to keep coaching this team in particular. Well, 
you know, but I, I would say it was joint in, in, in this sense that, you know, I, and I think you can understand this. I don't want to, I don't want to be somewhere where they don't want me. Um, and they didn't want me. And so I wasn't at that point gonna, you know, gonna fight to try to, uh, to stay there. So it wasn't, uh, a mutual decision. It was funny when I left Detroit, uh, my owner there, who I really liked, uh, Tom Gores, um, also said it was a mutual decision. And I said, uh, yeah, Tom asked me to leave. And so I left, I guess that's mutual. mutual. You know, this is the, this is the same thing, but, but it was clear, you know, I think in our postseason meetings, um, here in New Orleans that, uh, you know, it's fair to say that we were just, uh, and I don't want to get into a lot of the details of it, but um, we just weren't on the same page at all about, um, you know, what coaching is all about and how coaches should be judged and, and everything else. We just look at coaching totally differently. And uh, that became clear, um, you know, probably a little bit during the season, but certainly after the season, we're just on two totally different pages. And, you know, who's right, who's wrong would be up to anybody's individual perspective, but we certainly did not see things the same way. Uh, Stan, I'm wondering here, Mike, go ahead and ask that question if you want, but I am wondering here. So hold on one second, Mikey. I am wondering if you've texted the Pistons owner since Reggie Jackson went on this, has gone on this ridiculous postseason run and say, Hey, I was fucking right about Reggie. I told you this kid was good. Well, here's the thing too. I mean, people in Detroit ended up really not really souring on Reggie, but if, if you look back on his time there, his first full year with us, we traded for him the 14-15 season uh, right around the trade deadline. His first full season, 15-16, he was tremendous. We won 44 games, Yeah, um, got a lot better, and he was the, I think, second-leading fourth-quarter scorer in the league. I mean, he was unbelievable. And then even over the next two years, you know, we were good. I mean, you know, we were above 500 with when Reggie was healthy. The problem was – he wasn't healthy very much. And when he went down our last year in Detroit, he went down. He was playing great to start the year. We were probably 30-some games into the year. And we were fourth in the East at that point, and he went down. Our problem was we just never figured out over the time or added the people to the roster or whatever we needed to do to be able to play successfully without him. But he played very well for us in Detroit. Um, but suffered some bad injuries. And, and it's great to see him back healthy and doing what he's he had a really good year for him, but what he's doing in the playoffs is tremendous. And he's making himself, uh, you know, a lot of money in, in, in this playoff run um, for a guy who is basically on a minimum after the buyout in Detroit. Um, I would think he's going to sign for really good money. Uh, yeah, he probably should. He's making uh, just over a half million dollars. Mike, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you have a better chance of Stan asking, uh, answering this question than I do, okay? <laughs> you ask it, and listen, because he loves you. I'm telling you, he loves you. Uh, he might just answer this. So go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Listen, we're kindred spirits, but I, you know, I got to ask. You know, the reports are out there that Zion's family was, was part of the reason that, that you were let go. How much did they have to do with that? I, I don't know anything about that. I... I I had, in my mind, I liked coaching Zion. I had a good relationship with him. 
I had no problem. And I think we, you know, elevated his platform that we gave him. We put him in different situations, um, had him handling the ball a lot, playing a lot of point guard. I, I thought we did some, uh, some good things with him. If they were unhappy, um, I didn't, I didn't hear about it. Uh, Zion never, I mean, Zion was unhappy with us not winning more games. Um, but Zion never expressed to me, uh, any of that. That doesn't mean he wasn't unhappy. And I, I don't know. I mean, it possible, it's possible, um, you know, that they were unhappy with me and that was part of what led to the, to the change. Um, I hate it when, um, it gets put on players, you know, that players are getting coaches fired and things like that. I'm not a, I think that makes players look bad and I don't think it's fair. Players certainly have the right to express their opinion to people and things like that, but front offices and owners make decisions and they're the ones that decide to, to fire people. And, and that shouldn't ever, ever, ever be placed on uh be placed on players. And I know this, regardless of what happened in that regard, Zion's no coach killer. I mean, he's a guy that's going to help you win a lot of games. Uh, he plays the game the right way. Um, I, uh, you know, one of the things I'll miss is, you know, the opportunity to continue to coach him because he's so, you know, he's so unique in the way that he plays the game and the things that he can do that, you know, it really gets your mind spinning as a coach and you have a lot of possibilities um, in what you can do with him. And that was fun to, to explore. So um, I'm happy with what we did with Zion. I think we helped him. Um, you know, how anybody else felt about that would be up to them. Stan, what's the ceiling for Zion? What's your ceiling? Yeah, you know what? I, I think when you have players that good um, – you don't even try to put a ceiling on them. I mean, right. you know, um, I think he's going to become a good shooter. I really do. I watched him work every day after practice um, with Fred Vinson, um, one of our assistants, and, and Fred's a great, great shooting coach. And Zion was making a lot of progress. I think the key is, is he getting in the gym with Fred in the off season, because quite honestly, he doesn't, he has never made those kind of strides um, with other people working with him. So, but if he'll spend the time with Fred, um, I think he'll make the, the leap as a shooter. Um, I think he'll shoot 75% or so from the free throw line. And as much as he gets to the line, that's big. And I think, um, Eventually, he'll be able to shoot the three. But one of the things he and I had talked about is he really, even more than shooting the three, he needs to just have a shot in the lane where he doesn't get all the way to the rim, a little floater and stuff. Because, you know, the guy, what he does, he's a great finisher. But, damn, I mean, he's he's going all the way to the rim and challenging people on every possession. Um, and not only is that hard to do, um, it wears you down physically and he just gets a crap beat out of him. I mean, the guy gets hit. I mean, he's broken fingers on both hands. I mean, they're just wailing on him. He needs something to make the game a little bit easier on himself. And, and I think he realizes that um, 
I just think over the next five, six, seven years, this guy's going to have incredible growth. Now, where he really needs to make progress um, if he wants to win is at the defensive end. I mean, I think he's aware of that. Um, and he just has to get a lot better there. He struggled at the at the defensive end of the floor. Um, if he can make strides at that end, that, that's even more important to me than the, the shooting. But look, we, we had a very poor shooting team around Zion. I mean, we only had two guys who could really shoot the three, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. So Zion's out there with not much shooting and the defense packed in, loaded up to him, and he still averaged 27 points on 61% shooting. I mean, you know, he's just a phenomenal talent. He's got great competitiveness, and you literally cannot keep him from getting to the rim. I, there's just no way to play him to keep him from getting to the rim, even where you, even when you know that's where he's going every time. Stu Gouts here for my friends over at Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So, what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. Listen, for me, it's simple. When I'm sitting around with friends, with family, we're at concerts, we're watching the Knicks finally win for the first time in 30 years, we're laughing, we're having a great time, we do it with ice cold. Miller Lite. Always have, always will. Miller Lite keeps it simple, undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash stew, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer oh my gosh folks gather around everyone gather around listen to these words the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the nba postseason winds down and if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out new customers listen to me you bet just five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code DAN. That's code DAN for new customers. And you get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. That's insane. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY. Or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Stan, I got to tell you, you have to like spend the rest of your retirement in that bed in that exact position. I, it's making me smile. I feel like there's a plate of food headed your way, like room service or something like that. Like, why move against? It's unbelievable. My, my wife does a lot for me, but she's not delivering food up here. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I didn't suggest that she was going to do that. It just feels like the way I'm seeing this is you're in a hotel and someone's going to be knocking on the door like any minute with four scrambled eggs with cheese, some onions, <laughs> a little. <laughs> that would be great. But no, I'm still in New Orleans right now. We're heading out of here on uh, Friday. So I got a couple more days in New 
in New Orleans, and uh, this is the. Oh, you, you you had to love the food there, Stan. You had to love the food in New Orleans. Yeah, you know it, it's great. I mean, and uh, you know it was it was strange year as we all know with COVID, so nothing was really uh, open. Everything was just takeout all year. Now it's just starting to open up as we're uh, on our way out the door. I'm not certain it should be, though. <laughs> Dan and I were discussing that Deer District does not look safe, Stan. Well, look no, safe. there's a lot of there's a lot of questionable uh, places. The food, is, the food is tremendous. I mean, you know, I mean, like we're watching the other night. Uh, my son likes to he's visiting us and he likes to watch those cooking shows. And so we're watching Master Chef and. I'm going, okay, there's Aron Sanchez. He's got a place here. His restaurant's here. And there's Emerald Lagasse, and he's got a place here. I mean, you know, it's just, <laughs> you, you know, it, the food is fantastic. Uh, just going, by the way, you mentioned defense and Zion. I think I know the problem here, okay? <laughs> Stan, you guys were too good. This is an offensive league now. Spoiler, you, he doesn't. You, no, no, no. You guys were one of the best teams defensively after the All-Star break. Stan, you were making them work too hard. I mean. <laughs> well, that was, you know, that may be part of it. I mean, we were on them hard, and we were, we were next to last in the league defensively before the All-Star break and seventh yeah. after the break. And so... You know, one of the things that I, I one of the things that surprised me about being let go is I think we had seven guys that had come back from the previous year. And by all the advanced numbers and that everybody uses, all of those seven guys got better, most of them appreciably so. We really improved defensively over the course of the year, even with a roster with very limited shooting. Um, we were 11th in the league in offensive efficiency. I mean, I just thought there was uh, good progress going on. Um, but, you know, somebody else will now have to take it the, uh, the next step. And there's a lot of good coaches out there. And I think this is, a, is still an attractive job because New Orleans is a great city. It's a young team, too young, quite honestly. You need to get older. That's one of the big problems. Um, you know, I mean, two-thirds of our points were scored by guys 23 and younger. I mean, it, it's just too much. But there's a lot of potential here, and you've got a generational talent at the uh, at the core of it. Who would Stan Van Gundy hire to replace Stan Van Gundy? I don't know, but it was funny because one of the names <laughs> getting mentioned as a, as a finalist is Jock Vaughn. I love Jock, but Jock followed me in Orlando. So, you know, I'm like – you know, Jock, make this one work because uh, if you get it, I'm not taking another one. I can't, I can't clear the path for you there. Um, you know, so I don't know who I would, I think quite honestly, you know, if it were me, I'd stay in house and, and go with like Fred Vinson because that I, I worry about these young guys are now on their, will be on their third coach in three years. And for guys like Ingram, uh, who came from L.A., you know, his fourth coach in four years because he went from Luke Walton to Alvin Gentry to me. And, and I think that's hard for guys. I think it's hard for anybody if the system and everything, the terminology, all of that is changing a lot, but especially for young guys. And if, if you, you know, if you stick with a guy like Fred Vinson, he was, I mean, he's been here even before Alvin Gentry, but, you know, he was with Alvin, so he knows what the players went through then. 
He was with me. He knows what the players went through then. And he doesn't have to redo everything. He can stay with some stuff that is familiar to guys to ease the transition while at the same time putting his own imprint on the team. Now, I will say, I think it's highly unlikely that uh, David Griffin or Trajan Langdon will ask for my input on the coaching. (laughs) (laughs) But if they do, make sure you're laying in that bed, okay? (laughs) Highly unlikely, but if it were me, it it makes sense. Um, I think sometimes what front offices don't value enough is continuity and allowing guys to grow and understand you know, get comfortable in a, uh, in a system. And, and I think, you know, here with all the young guys they have, I mean, you know, I, I think it, it would help them a lot, but, but it's not my call. Uh, Stan, that's puzzling to me. Do like the other organizations look at the Spurs and the heat and say, Hey, look what consistency bought them, you know, a <laughs> continuity, the, Spurs, <laughs> the heat, the jazz, you know, I mean, it, it, it works. Right. And, and <laughs> the the heat in particular, you know, I, I think is a really, you know, good model for people because while the heat have had some great years, as you know, they had, they've had down years over the times too. And they've had years where they haven't made the playoffs in that run. In fact, before they went to the finals last year, they had missed the playoffs three of the previous five years but they stay the course. And so you look at San Antonio and they're going to the playoffs 20 some straight years. You say, okay, well, yeah, but they've had that success. Well, the heat has had ups and downs and stuck with it and it works and it works for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, if you're trying to decide who to sign in free agency, who to trade for, who to draft, you know what our system's going to be. You know what our values are as an organization it's easier to make that fit. Everybody wants to talk about culture all the time. Well, the Heat have built a culture for, I don't know. I mean, Pat got there 26, 27 years ago, and it's been the same mm-hmm. culture. I mean, Eric Spolster has been there since day one, you know, and come through. Pat's been there since day one. And so they're building on that culture all the time. And it is surprising that you could see that going on and similar stuff in San Antonio and similar stuff in Utah and, and not say, wow, that works. Like, you know, people just ignore it and keep making changes all the time. It's, it's hard to understand, but that's the way it is. Wait, Stan, did you break news while laying comfortably in a bed? Because it's the way you should announce that you're not going to coach again. Did you say you're never going to coach again? This is it, Stan? Well, you never you never say never. But I I think, um, you know, I'll be 62 years old and I've been lucky. I, you know, um, I've had four jobs in this league and, and been at it for a long time. And, and I, I think it would be uh, highly unlikely on top of the fact that I really love my wife and I want to stay married. And I think another, <laughs> another coaching job would leave me, uh, it would leave me with a divorce. And I, I don't, I don't want that. So uh, oh, my wife would love if I coached. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think we're, I, I think we're done. You never say never. I'll never use the word retirement because you just never know, you know, like what could come up. I mean, 
they might put an expansion franchise in Lake Mary, Florida. You know, have a, I mean, New York has two teams. Why can't Central Florida have two teams where I can just walk to work and my wife wouldn't have to move or anything? So um, you never know. You never know. I always thought like a good, like I thought college, I always thought, I know you've done it before, but I thought college, like a small college town, Stan Van Gundy. Like I, I could see you being a college coach. One more time, Stan. Well, I'll tell you, it, 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 it is, if I did it in college, I would want to do exactly what you said. I, I'd want to go the small college route. I, I wouldn't want any part of right power conferences and the recruiting that goes with that and everything else. I mean, I've had a lot of great jobs. It's been an exciting career, but probably the most fun I've ever had coaching was my first head coaching job at Castleton State College in Vermont, you know. Of course, yes. You know, those guys were playing simply because they loved to play. We had good teams. We won a lot. Great people. I'm still in touch with virtually every one of those guys. I mean, a lot of it was we were the same age. I mean, I was only 24 years old when I when I took that job. Um but I've stayed in touch with those guys for, you know, almost 40 years now. And uh, yeah, it was great fun. And and those levels are great. I I remember Dick Bennett, great coach. Um, And he'd been at Wisconsin Green Bay and won. And then he was at Wisconsin, went to the final four. And I remember talking to him. He succeeded me after they fired me at Wisconsin. And I always had a lot of respect for Dick. And I remember talking to him and asking him how it was going. And he said, you know what? I went one step too far in his career. Like at Green Bay, he said, I had one reporter I had to deal with. (laughs) I didn't deal with the booster club. I just coached my team. And, you know, we're all sort of in the profession. You get competitive and your ego gets carried away and you always want the, the next level up, the next level up, the next challenge. But a lot of times when you look back, you think, boy, I probably would have been a lot happier had I just stayed where I was. So, yeah, the, I mean, I like the small college level. And I know my wife and I have talked about it over the years. What would have happened if we would have just stayed there? I mean, we would have starved for what they were paying me then. We literally would have starved. <laughs> You'd be several million dollars poorer. <laughs> yes, a lot. And so I don't regret anything. And it's been thrilling to go through this stuff in the NBA. But... Yeah, to me, those are great jobs. If you get a good small college job and live, like you said, in a nice small college town, I mean, raise your kids there. I mean, great, great existence, yeah. Stan, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts here? Is the best team going to win the NBA title or is the healthiest team going to win the NBA title? The healthiest. I mean, it's always a factor, but this year has been – beyond absurd in uh, in what we're dealing with. I, I don't think this playoffs has had or will have any indication of who the best team is. I mean, like, I'm really happy for Phoenix. I think they've done everything the right way. Um, I'm happy for Chris Paul, um, playoff run. Monty Williams is a great coach and a great guy. But if you look, I mean, they play the Lakers and Anthony Davis is out, and then they get to play – uh, Denver without yo, I mean, without Jamal Murray. And then, you know, now they're playing the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. And if you look at what's going on in the East, if Phoenix can win, they can go play the finals either against Milwaukee, maybe without Giannis or, or Atlanta, maybe without Trey Young. I mean, like 
you know, there's no asterisks by any title, but it, it, you, you would wonder, like, did Phoenix really have to go through the gauntlet to prove they were the, the best team or did they just stay healthiest? How much of that is because of the truncated offseason? How much of the, the injuries that we've seen? Yeah, I, I, I think a couple of things. I think the, the shortened offseason, the, the shortened training camp, and not having the time before it. I mean, normally guys come back around Labor Day and they're spending time in the gym every day getting in shape, playing. And then you've got that three-week training camp with exhibition games and everything. This year, none of that pre-training camp time. Back in the gym, two weeks, and you're playing, and you're playing games. Um, and so, I think conditioning was not good. It wasn't. Um, guys were worn down a little bit, but not in great shape. And then the season was so compressed that no one had the practice time they were used to. So conditioning suffered. I mean, we just I just think players are not in as good a shape as they normally are. And that's led to a lot of the injuries, the combination of fatigue and, and the, you know, not having the conditioning to deal with it has not been good, but look, all, everybody, players, coaches, front offices, owners, everybody involved, the league office, we all knew what we were getting into. This was a money grab. That's what it was. It was a money grab. And so everybody knew what the, risks were and we all signed up for it so it's just what it is i mean it was the only way to keep the business afloat and keeping the business afloat is important and so i think adam silver and the league office knew it too but what is the alternative what was the alternative you know the, the players didn't want to make half the money that they normally make and and everything else we're already losing money because people aren't in the arenas you had to do what you had to do to keep the business afloat. And it's not just about the money everybody made, but keep the business out in front of the fans too. Having games on TV all the time, getting back to that, that's important for the business and the health of the league. And so the way I look at it is the players made a big sacrifice, but for their own greater good, um, and for the greater good of the league, it's just what it is. And so it's unfortunate, I think, that the, the playoffs, the most important time of the year, that, as Stu said, everything's just coming down to health. I think that's unfortunate that we're not seeing the teams match up and play the best against the best. Um, you know, I, I think that's unfortunate, but I just don't know how you, how you avoid it. Stan, if the Nets are healthy, do they win the title? They would have been hard to beat. I mean, they had the most talent. So, um, you know, now whether they win the title. Um, Them of the Lakers, I guess, right? Yeah, you never know. And the Lakers weren't healthy. I mean, like, who was healthy? That's the thing. The Clippers aren't healthy. Um, the Suns. You know. <laughs> Suns have stayed relatively healthy other than the COVID thing with uh, with right. Chris Paul. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, but Brooklyn is immensely talented and the thing is with the talent they had if they had all three of those guys they can survive an off night by one of them every night because you've still got those two stars um I, I don't know how you guard them I honestly don't if all three of those guys play how do you guard them 
do you agree with me? Because Levitar was giving me a hard time. Uh, the guys on the show agree with me when I said that Kevin Durant was being celebrated more in defeat than he ever has been in victory. Do you agree with that? I do actually agree with that. I, I think Boom! I think what happened is I don't think he actually was celebrated in victory in Golden State. First of all, people mocked him for leaving Oklahoma to join a championship team. And then even though he was the finals MVP, the fact that he had all those guys around him, I don't think he got the respect. And then he goes to Brooklyn and everybody else gets hurt. And he's out there without Kyrie and without James Harden and getting 48 points in a, you know, in a game seven. Yeah. I I think that um, the respect for him, uh, at least from a fan's perspective and from an outside perspective, certainly grew this year beyond anything people felt for him in uh, Golden State. All right, two quick ones. We'll get you out of here. Uh, Scotty Pippen on the Dan Patrick Show. Now, listen, Dan and I had Scotty Pippen on our show a week before Dan Patrick did, and all we did was drink whiskey with him, okay? We got nothing out of him, okay? But you, <laughs> you know our shows, Dan. And then Dan Patrick had him on, and Dan Patrick somehow got to a place where Scotty Pippen called Phil Jackson racist. Then we had Dan Patrick on to make fun of us, okay? Because he's a lot better at this than we are. But I digress, Dan. Uh, your thoughts on Scotty Pippen? been saying that Phil Jackson is racist. Yeah, I, I was disappointed to, to hear that. Obviously, I can't comment on whether Phil is or isn't. I, I haven't been around Phil. Um, it, it just, Scotty Pippen to me over the last few years has seemed like desperate for attention. Um, and that, that has disappointed me because the guy was a great, great player. And he seems to be now saying more and more provocative things. It almost seems like an attempt to be relevant. Um, and, and I think that's sort of sad because he, he's relevant for what he did in this league, and that should be enough. But um, I didn't think his, you know, his criticisms of Kevin Garnett, I, I mean, Kevin Durant, Durant. were very yep. fair. And uh, and then the stuff on Phil, like if you had those things to say, like, why? Why now? Right. What ended up happening is Kevin Durant made the point about him at the end of the game in 94. And so to defend himself, he came back with Phil's a racist. Like Phil Jackson wasn't (laughs) part of this debate at all. It was Kevin Durant and Scottie Pippen. And he tried to call out Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant came back at him about that incident. And then he came back with, I was disrespected. In fact, it was because Phil was a racist. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like, where did this (laughs) come from? And if Scotty really felt that, really felt that, why didn't it come out when he was playing for him? Why didn't it come up before this? Why didn't it come up? when they were doing the last dance, why, you know, like, where is this all coming from? I I just thought it was from bourbon. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was sad. And I've always thought when people like years later go after guys they played with or coaches or coaches go after people who played for them. And that always disappoints me because you know, you may not like everybody you're involved with, but people come together as a team and there's a little bit of a uh, 
or should be a, a bond and keeping things in the locker room. And it's one thing when it's happening, but you know, years later to just come out and, and rip the guy. And that's a pretty serious charge. And he's coming up with it, you know, almost 30 years later, like what the hell? Yep. Uh, kind of strange. Uh, We'll get to the poll questions in just a second. Mike and I are both, you know I'm a Nick fan. Uh, Mike EA is a huge Nick fan as well. Uh, you're very friendly. You love Tom Thibodeau. Uh, Mike EA and I think that they should erect a statue of Tom Thibodeau in front of Madison Square Garden simply for making them normal. <laughs> is that what, do you agree? Well, they did a great job. I'm not sure anybody exceeded expectations more than, than right. they did. And it was Tom's type of team. You know, he just got a lot of tough guys to get in there and play well. And then they weren't a particularly great offensive team. He, he got a great year out of Julius Randle. And then they were the normal, hard-nosed, tough defensive team that would compete every night. And he went and got veteran guys. I mean, you know, these teams that want to play with nothing but young guys, it's tough. I mean, they went Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson and, you know, Reggie Bullock's been around. And, I mean, they – they went and got older guys. It's Tom's type of team. They did a great job and give their front office a lot of credit because they let Tom build the team in the image that he wanted. Now their challenge becomes greater, as you know. I mean, it, it, it's it's one thing to take the step from bad to decent, you know, but to rise above that now it's hard because – you got to find a way to build a better roster and that's not going to be, that's not going to be easy. And for them, as they acquire more talent, can they acquire more talent that also fits with Tom's defensive mentality and toughness and the way they want to play. So it, it's not going to be easy for Leon Rose um, going forward. Um, but I know Nick fans are really, really, really excited. Yeah, excited that we're not in embarrassment. And to back to our earlier point, just stay with Tom. Like, give him like five, six, seven, eight years to like play. Yeah, you know, I think he has a, you know, he has a good relationship with Leon. Leon used to be his agent. Sure. And so I think they've got a chance to stay the course, even if there's some ups and downs. And if they do, it'll it'll all work. All right, Mikey, I get him out of here with a couple of poll questions here. He loves the Levitard show. I'm going to uh, make a pitch to have him come back and work for us in a second here. <laughs> I mean, he's just laying around in a bed. But anyway, uh, Mike, give him a couple of poll, uh, poll questions. Uh, let's stay where we were at. Uh, does Thibodeau want to sign a defensive tackle? <laughs> I was sad. I was making the point of the show to Dan that uh, Thibodeau begrudgingly said that we're going to, you know, we have to improve the offense and we'll look at some shooters here. He doesn't really want to do that. He wants to sign a Lodi Nata. I mean, that's what he oh, wants that, to do. That's a great point. I'll go with a yes on that. <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead, Mike. Mike, what are you laughing Dan. at? You know Thibs does. He wants, a, he wants five nose tackles on the floor, Mike. Oh, God. Yeah, he would. You know, if, if some of those guys are free agents, you know, if he could get Aaron Donald or McDonald, <laughs> they fit very well with the with Tom Pintel. Uh Stan, do you trust expiration dates? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not going to mess. But it depends on what it is. But on on almost all foods, yeah, like I'm going to trust. If it's you know if it's mustard or something, ah, eh, no big deal. But milk, meat, 
stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not messing with expiration dates. We, we were discussing milk, and, and this should not shock you at all because you know our entire show. Chris Cody said he will always drink milk a couple of days after the expiration oh. date. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, but man, I mean, like, no, do not mess with expiration dates. I'm with you. <laughs> Is the grocery store a prankster's delight? <laughs> I've never thought about that. I guess it could be, but I've never looked at it that way. <laughs> okay, that was Billy's. Uh, that was Billy's <laughs> observation. He's a little quirky. Go ahead, Mike. A couple more. Is Fairlife chocolate milk the most underrated thing in the drink category? Have you had Fairlife chocolate milk, Stan? I have not. I was just going to say I can't comment on that. Is it that good? It is that good. All right, just go try it, and the, and the next time we'll have you on. <laughs> uh, chocolate milk. I, you know, we're probably going to the store today, so I might have to try some. All right, try it out. Mike, you got one more for him? Uh, is Stugat's lying when he says, that's all I got? <laughs> you should have just stopped it at Stugat's yeah, lying. I was just saying, you didn't even need to add the end of that. Is, is Stugat's lying? Well, is he talking? <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave it right there. It's the perfect ending. Stugat's here for my friends over at Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So, what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. Listen, for me, it's simple. When I'm sitting around with friends, with family, we're at concerts, we're watching the Knicks finally win for the first time in 30 years, we're laughing, we're having a great time, we do it with ice cold Miller Lights. Always have, always will. Miller Lite keeps it simple, undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.